Stat Media Group, delivering logistics news since 1986. Hello everyone, I am Reggie John and this is Logistics Tech Dialogues presented by Kale Logistics Solutions. Logistics Tech Dialogues is our new weekly dialogue on innovations and technologies that make logistics move faster and deliver better. Welcome to Logistic Tech Dialogues, brought to you in partnership with Kale Logistics Solutions, a trusted global logistic IT solutions provider for several Fortune 500 companies worldwide. The logistic industry trends are dependent on significant changes that are driven by the implementation of technology-driven innovations in the business processes. The next generation logistic management solutions are moving towards making the global supply chains more customer-centric and sustainable. Automation in logistic processes brings out a significant increase in productivity and efficiency in the workflow. The improvement of transparency and traceability of the supply chain is vital to maintain a flexible and dynamic relationship between various stakeholders. We are so happy to start this new series of interviews with Stan Raitt as my guest in the inaugural episode. Stan Raitt is the president and CEO of Strategic Aviation Solutions International, or SASI World, which was established by him in 2005 with two other business partners. SASI is engaged in global consulting and management services for airlines, airports, international trade organizations, and financial institutions. Stan has over 40 years of senior air cargo management experience with major global cargo airlines that include KLM Royal Dutch Airlines, Atlas Air Worldwide Holdings, and Airbridge Cargo Airlines. Stan has a pulse on everything aviation and air cargo. He pulls no punches and minces no words. It is my pleasure to welcome Stan Raitt, President and CEO of Sasi World, to the first episode of logistic tech dialogues. Stan, great to have you and so happy to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Good okay. morning or good afternoon or wherever you are. Uh, Stan, let's uh, begin the conversation briefly talking about uh, what SASI is all about and what your involvement with the industry currently. Yeah, what SASI is all about, well, we're, we, I, I don't like the word consultancy. We see too much of consultants where you produce a report, it gets put in the right-hand drawer, and, and that's not what we do. Uh, we're very heavily involved in advisory services and strategic uh, positioning, uh, due diligence for financial institutions who are looking for acquisitions within the aerologistics space. But mostly uh, uh, with the broad experience and the team we've built up over the years, uh, advising uh, airports, uh, ground handling companies, airlines, um, and increasingly governments uh, on, on best practices, how to make sure that your business can fit into what's coming. Not what it, not based on what happened in the past. The uh, the company is is totally uh, staffed with people who have actually done the jobs. We we make sure that we're not hiring people uh, that don't know what the subject matter is and have done it. Learn from their mistakes because you don't learn without making mistakes, and then find the best practices to advise our our clients, which are which are global actually. Stan, we are uh, still in the pandemic. Uh 
even though we have crossed like 18 months into the pandemic, uh, we still find the the tough situation, tough life around us. Uh, just want your reflections on about the pandemic and its impact on human society, aviation and air cargo. Uh, and what are some of the biggest lessons that all of us are learning from this pandemic? Well, the first thing I think uh, we, we've got to learn is, is from our mistakes again, as I said before. We didn't have a plan B. We were warned this would possibly happen. I, I you know, quickly all the videos that were put up by, by uh, uh, you know, Bill Gates, by, by Obama, saying that this was coming and we have to prepare. And, and we didn't because we didn't listen. I hate to say that um, we got something that uh, the world wasn't prepared for. Governments weren't prepared, prepared for. Aviation wasn't prepared for. It certainly wasn't prepared for. And, and the, the impact that it's continuing to have on society is, is huge. And what I'm afraid of with all the variants um, uh, and also some very, you know, and the, the proliferation of the web leads to a lot of misinformation that unfortunately a lot of people believe. So the anti-vaxxers and the conspiracy theorists, uh, you know, it's just, there's not enough people that are jumping on board for vaccinations who can get it. And we're not sharing the vaccines with the people who want it, but can't get it because of their economic situation. So it's a real, uh, hopefully a real wake up call for the world that we need local production of, of, of these vaccines globally. We have to take out of, all of the equations, uh, things like intellectual property concerns on, on the vaccines, because it's, it's something, it's a, it's a right to, to live, really. And vaccines, if that's what's going to solve it, we should, we should take this out of the profit uh, category and put it into the basic needs of humanity category. As far as aviation is concerned, all I can say is I've never seen such a mess in my life. And I'll be, I'll be truthful with you. Um, we, uh, it, it, the good thing about it is it absolutely, totally exposed to everyone now the value of air logistics. And it's, it's just um, the airlines, uh, CEOs and boardrooms, especially the CFOs, if they just spent what they spend on first class lounges around the world on cargo, we could have been better equipped to handle this. And, and the other thing is that a lot of the airlines uh, still don't get it. So uh, the boardrooms of the, of the world have to be better educated uh, about air logistics and the governments should start putting some pressure on the airlines as well of their strategic value, not just to uh, economic development of, of industries to create jobs, but also sustainability of life when the need comes to bring in goods if you don't have them locally. So uh, I hope that shock um, has smartened up some some governments and uh, they're putting some pressure on on and support to the airlines to to be able to cope with the next crisis. Stan, uh, let's talk about uh, technology and uh, this dialogue is about technology. How strongly do you feel that technology is playing a critical role in the global freight industry now, particularly after the pandemic or during the last 18 months? Well, I think it's playing a, a valuable role, of course, but you know, we're at 5% of what we could do. Technology, I, I here I have to fault a little bit the, the press and I'll, I'll do it by, by being kind as I can be, because you know, I have a lot of uh, uh, people in the press I have a lot of respect for, like yourself, like other people. Uh, but, you know, technology and technological solutions is not about booking platforms in order to be an intermediary between a freight forward and an airline to, to get sales of, of cargo. It should be about what technology can do uh, in order to lower costs, 
uh, increase productivity and, and leverage the efficiencies that we can have because we are uh, in, in our possession as let's call it the scheduled air cargo logistics business. And here I sort of go away from what the integrators have learned 30 years ago what to do. But with technology, the tools are there for us to do something that, that uh, the industry needs. And uh, we started in the voyage of technology about eight years ago. And, and that was when I got uh, extremely interested in e-commerce. And when I, when I did, we, we actually started uh, working with a beta shop we set up at Heathrow with, with, with some people and, and studied it and learned. And, and the more we learned, the more we saw deficiencies. And, and then we tried to address them and realized it was an uphill battle. But the more we looked at it, uh, the more we realized that it wasn't just about adding revenue to an airline's bottom line. We started seeing things like uh, cost efficiencies, uh, unique selling points that, that could leverage speed um, that were never there before, uh, transparency. Uh, and we've come along that voyage as a company for the last uh, eight years. And, and we're now, I would say techno technological, uh, Knowledge in, in the company is very, very strong. Uh, we are not technicians. We are never going to tell you we know what to do as far as building a system. But what we do know is what you can do with a system and how it can leverage your, your unique selling points. I'd uh, just like to make one simple example. If you, if you take a 777 of Cafe Pacific or a 777 of British Airways and you fly it from Hong Kong to London Heathrow nonstop, it's the same airplane. And it could be any carrier. It's it, the triple seven. You might configure the belly a little bit different, but the, the operating uh, economics of the airplane are pretty well the same. And I'm here. I'm talking about a passenger flight, and it's it, it arrives in London in let's say 13, 14 hours. And and if you give that same cargo to an e-commerce company, or if you give that cargo to to uh, an integrator, he's moving through multiple hubs. You can be 24, sometimes 48 hours faster. Uh, in putting the cargo from one continent to the other, what's missing? What's the missing elements? It's what's on the ground and what you do with it when it arrives. And that's where, that's where we started seeing that, oh boy, there are some big dollars to be made here for the airlines. And there's some big savings here for the uh, GHAs and the airlines if they just get and leverage that unique, unique selling point. And, and I, I have to say, some of the airports in the U.S., especially now, they get it. They really get it. And they're making uh, big steps to, to uh, make sure that the facilities that they're, they're, uh, they have on the airport become a marketing tool for the airlines, not just a real estate transaction with a developer. So I'm, I'm, I think we're at 5% of what's possible, to be honest with you. Stan, you did make a mention about e-commerce. So my next question is actually it's about what do you think about, about the proliferation of e-commerce? And do you think that e-commerce is making a serious impact on how businesses are done today? And how is it changing logistic industry and facilitating global trade? Well, let's, let's just look at e-commerce and, and, and look at some of the numbers. I think the average consumer out there would think e-commerce is getting on Amazon or Alibaba or whatever, Lazarda. And what are you looking for, an iPhone cover, or are you looking for something that you don't feel like driving all the way to a, a, a bricks and mortar retail store to buy because you just click a button and you have it. 
And you usually have a lot of choice, more choice than you would ever have if you're, if you're going to the store because they'll only carry certain brands. So in the B2C business, business to consumer business, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting. It's, it's huge. It's about a $3 trillion business, retail sales worldwide. But what a lot of people don't understand is that the B2B, business to business e-commerce business, is more like a closing in on $12 trillion in sales. Now, why is that important to us as airlines and airports and GHAs? It's because that e-commerce business, B2B, uh, is what traditionally in the past was the, the relationship between the freight forward, the airline, and the ground handling company. It was in consolidations. It was moving uh, in, in ways that uh, the airline had no transparency and no, in, no involvement at all in, in the speed element because the, the consolidation, his job was to move it from Hong Kong to London, as I said before. But what happened prior to that and what happened after to that, he had no, no involvement in. He didn't know, he didn't care. And, and now with e-commerce, if we don't get our act together as, as uh, logistics industry in the scheduled business, shall we say, be it a passenger airline or an all-cargo airline, uh, we're going to miss the boat like we missed it a couple of times in the past when we had opportunities to improve what we offer to the public. Um, the only thing, the last thing I'll say on e-commerce uh, is uh, with a $12 trillion business, uh, UPS just announced the results last week, and it's just an indicator of what I said. 28% increase in their B2B business and a 16% drop in their B2C business. Now, what does that mean for us? Uh, if you look at the aviation business and where the airplanes are placed, there's roughly 1,300 uh, medium and wide body freighters flying around the world, roughly. Uh, we know for sure that about 650 to 700 of them are operating for the, for the people you would expect to do that. And that's uh, UPS, that's FedEx, that's DHL Express um, and others. But uh, in the other 650 are also carriers like um, Amazon, uh, like Polar Air Cargo, which is a DHL investment, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So if you look, truly look at it, there's very few freighters out there available in the future for, for uh, companies who want to handle e-commerce and not be tied into Amazon or Alibaba. They want an independent solution. And that's another unique selling point that the airlines could get together if they can organize on the ground. They can offer those products and be faster than Alibaba and, and Amazon truly if they, if they leverage that speed of that passenger airline belly. So I, I'm very optimistic about B2B. Uh, I'm pessimistic to any airline that doesn't understand that and, and depends on volume to, to get their revenue because the bigger getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the small and medium-sized freight forwarder, uh, for example, is struggling to, to be able to compete against that. So you better find products that can support them in this e-commerce world so that uh, you'll still have a, a more than a, five or six customers to choose from in, in uh, working with your freight. Either that, or you better cut costs dramatically in your cargo division. Digital transformation of the air freight industry is, uh, is something that we've been hearing for uh, quite some, some number of years. Uh, what's your realistic evaluation of uh, the digital transformation of the global air freight industry? Uh, is it really transformative? And uh, is the air freight industry taking full advantage of the digital potential with the available modern technology tools that we have today? Yes and no. Uh, yes, it's transformative. One of the things that we formulate our opinions on and why I call ourselves advisors and not consultants. 
We've spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours talking to everyone in the logistics chain. We just completed recently a, a, a mandate from an airport. We spent 47 hours, I believe, interviewing stakeholders throughout the air supply chain. And all it did was expose deficiencies uh, for, for better use where technology could be an enabler to solve those problems. I mean, other issues, of course, were involved in, in, in those stakeholder interviews. Uh, but that's just that one airport we spent 40, 47 hours, I think it was, uh, in interviews. And, and we weren't charging by the hours before anybody says that it was a project price, but we just do that uh, because we want to give the best advice we can to anybody. And what, what, we've, what have we learned? Uh, airport uh, technology, for example, cargo community systems are the way forward. They are. Uh, why? Because it provides a variable cost solution and it provides it to everybody. For example, I talked before about the SME, small and medium-sized freight forwarders. They need a solution. They can't afford to invest in the IT systems that a FedEx or a UPS have. They just can't. And, and uh, they, they've got to get something where, where the airport can support them. That's number one. Um, the second thing is information flow. Uh, we spoke to one of the largest shippers uh, in the world um, because we were representing an airline in the U.S. and we wanted to know why they did what they did. And with the Economic Development Board of that, that state, we talked to this large manufacturer about what, what is it? What is your decision process in order to choose an airline and what an airport and also a ground handling company? Tell us what it is. And they were, they were very, very, very clear in the answer. It's number one, speed. We want 48 hours our plant to our plant over there. That's the first thing. And you better deliver that. Uh, the second thing, which was very surprising, they said transparency before quality. Quality was number three. Transparency. Transparency throughout. If something falls on the aircraft, uh, on, on the ramp, I mean, and is damaged, we want to know what the damage is. We want photos of it. We want it sent to the importing side and we want it sent to the exporting side. If the airplane's delayed for two hours, we want to know it's delayed for two hours, but we want everyone on the importing side to know as well so they can be prepared. If there's anything to do with the shipment at all, we want it transparent throughout and every stage of the process. And this is not 500 kilos of spare parts. This is plane loads of spare parts and production material going regularly every week in 747 freighters. This is not small change. So number one, okay? speed. Number two, transparency. Number three, quality. We want to know if there's a damage. We don't want claims, but if there is damage, we want to know what it is so we can fix it back to transparency. And then that, after those three criteria are made, then the freight forwarder or the airline can bid on our business. And that's the only time we talk about price after the first three uh, elements are made. That's number one. Number two, when we look at what happened with pharmaceuticals, Everyone says the airlines failed. Blame it on the airlines, blame it on the airports. Again, false, completely false. Why did that happen? Why did we lose so much to sea freight? Because why? Because we weren't prepared. And why weren't we prepared? Because there was no transparency in knowing what the pharmaceutical companies wanted. And I'm not talking about backselling against the freight forwarder. I'm talking about the freight forwarder and the airline should be talking continuously for information purposes, not for backsetting, just to know what's happening. And if the airlines had been aware, they could have notified the airports, they could have modified their processes and whatever. So that's, a, that's the second thing. 
The failures that we hit in the mega side are, are completely uh, negated if we have transparency of uh, information through technology. And then the last thing, when you, when you talk about technology, um, we, we, we see all these companies now uh, talking about how you should uh, join our association and, and we'll tell you how to handle your pharmaceuticals and all the rest of it. When the world already had the standards that we needed in global distribution practices, GDP, and we'll tell you what to do and build these cold rooms and everything else. And then when you start looking at it, when we did the strategic uh, initiative for, for various airports in the U.S. and how to handle the vaccines coming in to comply with what the governments wanted, we said, look, it's, you want it to land and you want it in the truck and on its way in 45 minutes to an hour and a half. It's not going to dwell in the warehouse if you do it properly. So, Technology allows that. You, you don't need to dwell cargo in warehouses. And if you don't dwell cargo in warehouses, the expenses of the warehouses go down as well. And the efficiency goes up and costs can be reduced so that we are a player in, in, in the cost uh, role as well. So technology today, we're at, again, I go back to 5% of where we can be, but, and I'm very happy to say this, especially the airports, they get it. And the GHAs, GHAs, I should say, uh, are slowly but surely ca catching on as well. That uh, if they know what's coming on a truck, for example, they can make sure that they have the right staff with the right equipment ready to pick it up. And if they know what's coming exactly in on an airplane and the customs and everyone else is linked through technology and they accept these processes, uh, it, 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 it means you don't dwell cargo on an airport, you pass it straight through. Uh, one last statement on technology. The United Nations, which we are uh, uh, working with uh, through Canada and one of my associates in the, in, the, in the States is on the US delegation with uh, trade facilitation initiatives. It's all about digitization of uh, logistics for trade facilitation. And there are various committees going on which we are privileged to be able to, to uh, be a part of where uh, the directives through UN Resolution 33 on the single window, as one example, are, are dictating what our future is. And, and everybody in the supply chain should be paying big attention to that. Because if they want their airport or their airline or their ground handling company or their freight forwarding company to survive, pay attention to this because the digitization is going to come. Speed, transparency, and quality, uh, those are three important takeaways from what you said, uh, the answer to the, my last question. And uh, you also mentioned about the trade facilitation and uh, how we create single windows of global trade. Uh, one of the things that we also have noticed that some of the air cargo industry stakeholders managed to create this digital trade corridor, digital uh, trade lanes to make sure that important commodities are actually easily and with all transparency has moved across on all those trade lanes. Uh, Stan, what would be some of the reasons why those airport community initiative programs are not becoming really popular within the air freight industry? Well, first of all, I beg to differ. I mean, it's just in its infancy, okay? We were, were privileged, again, uh, between Atlanta and Schiphol to participate in the first discussions on trade, uh, having city officials, uh, government officials, universities, uh, and the cargo communities uh, in both airports between Schiphol, Amsterdam, and, and Atlanta. And we learned a lot from that. Uh, we, we definitely did. And, and uh, when, we, when we focused on it, we saw that uh, the benefits that could be, that obviously, if you put something into the, into the system in, in Amsterdam and it comes out in Atlanta and it's handled with speed, quality, and transparency, 
yeah, you've got you've got a viable solution for it, be it Delta, KLM, or or any other carrier that flew those two routes. And it opened our eyes to the possibilities of this. Um, the unfortunate thing is COVID hit. It hit right at the wrong time. And we've seen in a massive turnover of staff. I mean, I won't name airports, but I mean, I can think of three major airports in, in, in Europe where staff were let go and staff were the only ones who really were uh, interested in cargo or, or taking care of cargo. And, and that, that, tra that process of, of thinking that you can uh, reduce staff and solve problems by eliminating somebody. I mean, I was shocked when, when Glenn Hughes left IATA. Uh, not that Glenn left, that was his personal choice, but that IATA even let him go in the middle of a crisis. So uh, you, you, the data and logistics corridors have to be something that the airports are now thinking of more and more. And they are, trust me. We, we've spoken to major airlines in the Gulf, for example, um, two or three of them. And we've also spoken, obviously, to European carriers. And, and what they're telling us is that, um, that the systems and the products that they want to put in place, at the request of mostly small and medium forwarders or whatever, the, the, it doesn't work at the moment. And and biggest problem that they're facing, and they very, very, very well know what they want. And when you see what, I mean, they're telling us that when you weigh something that's out of gauge and put on a, say, 20-foot pallet, they want that machine to talk to their system and go back to headquarters so they can verify that the, that the load and uh, trim balance on the airplane is correct. When you start talking about that type of request for safety security of the airplane, but also that type of request when it comes to uh, the, the demands of the government now for, for safety with e-commerce, because there's so many shippers. IKO launched the safe supply chain course, which they asked us to build, and we launched with uh, TIACA, uh, because everyone's concerned about it. And only through technology can we have transparency of what's inside those shipments. And now they're not asking for it anymore, they're demanding. So if you're not able to provide that in, in the data logistics corridors between, let's say, Hong Kong and Chicago, how can you not have, uh, have bottlenecks everywhere? And how can you not, not have a substandard product and how can you not expect that you lose the value side of the business equation to the integrators, the mega, mega large freight forwarders that are developing and, and the e-commerce companies? You'll lose it all if you don't embrace technology. What are the current technology trends that you closely watch and uh, how does air freight industry make use of them? Is it artificial intelligence, robotics, automation, data analytics, blockchain, internet of things? Well, Internet of Things and, and blockchain and all that is, is is integrated a lot into what we're doing today. I mean, you know, my, my refrigerator talks to the Internet, but, you know, the Internet of Things, I, I, I saw a wonderful example when we were designing a warehouse where the whole mechanized handling system, the MHS system, talks through the Internet of Things, and they only have a control room in Germany. And if anything goes wrong, if a piece of plastic knocks a laser beam out of place through the Internet of Things, they know it, they... they go back and they tell the maintenance people only one or two instead of 12 that go up and fix that. So, I mean, we've seen it in our, in our side. Uh, we've seen AGVs, automated ground vehicles, in the design on master planning that we're doing now. When they park freighters way out, well, we're, we're uh, great uh, you know, uh, believers in AGVs moving the cargo rod and, and on, a, on a track 
rather than having tug and dollies all the time, which are limited on how you can handle the pallets and also how, how many you can have, et cetera, et cetera. We're into artificial intelligence. One of our client, clients through just one process saved $20 million a year in the all cargo business. So we believe in that as well. And we support it as well. Uh, the things that impress me most that give the most bang for the buck, shall we say, meaning in reducing cost and improving efficiency and transparency as well, are things like cargo community systems, which I mentioned. I think that's the first step and that's, that's a great step. Automation and warehousing. Um, the, the, the systems in the warehouses can talk to a smart gate technology, for example, in allowing a truck into the airport to go to a certain door and can actually physically position the cargo at that door so that the interface, the human interface, is the truck driver to one or two people or three people. It's not, we're not trying to eliminate jobs here, but there is a huge problem with staff in, in, in the airport side and the ground handling side. What we're talking about is the, uh, when, when the plant uh, charges the truck from the exporter and it's all inputted digitally, and they're talking to the cargo community system, which is talking to the GHA, and they prompt uh, position number five in the material handling system to bring the pallets to door number 20, and they notify the trucker when you come to door number 20 to pick up or deliver cargo, we're ready for you. So you come at two o'clock and you'll be gone at 2.45, whereas before if you came at two o'clock, you might be lucky to leave at 4.30. So you can just see it in everything we do and in what the suppliers of these automated sort and retrieval systems, which are needed for, uh, for small packages and the material handling systems are doing. Just last week, Lodica in Germany announced and, and showed some trials on what they're doing with automated ground vehicles to bring pallets to the back of the systems in the warehouse. It can go up to 200 meters away from the, from the warehouse. KLM built a system in Schiphol it, it, for handling small packages, state of the art. Uh, simple people, it, they actually take a baggage cart in, tip it, and then bags are all sorted and brought to the right place to go to the next flight. These are tremendous, tremendous uh, things. And I think they have to be replicated everywhere in the airport. And the other thing, transit airports, airports that depend on transit, they better start handling cargo in their, in their hubs with the speed of passenger baggage if they want to participate in the products that, that are going to pay in the future. And there I mean e-commerce. If they can handle a passenger baggage uh, in 55 minutes to an hour and a half, why can't they handle small packages with the same speed? They have to get their act together and invest because or, or else these major transit uh, hubs are not gonna survive in the future. Um, the other thing I appreciate too is now the airports are understanding that the facilities are not just a real estate transaction. They're a, they're a vital source of capability in that region for economic development outside in. They're a vital source of uh, ways of helping in lowering your environmental footprint. And they're also an economic stimulator for the airlines that are flying to your airport. Meaning they can, if you come to your airport and you participate in these data and logistics corridors with other airports of consequence, uh, then what, what do you get? You get the airlines more profitable, and they're able to keep and put back into service wide body airplanes that might be parked instead. I don't have to tell you, you just have to read the news. What's happening now with the A321neo and A321LR and whatnot, the 737 MAX, the new one, the 10,000, that's going to overtake the North Atlantic. Why would you, if you only have 150 to 200 passengers or whatever, 
with an excellent, if you look at the business class product offered by JetBlue on their A321s on the North Atlantic, it's as good as any major wide body carrier. And it fit, it's fit for purpose. And if passage doesn't return the way it does, I mean, profitable traffic, not $750 to China return, why would you put a wide body airplane on, the, on that route unless the cargo contribution from the bellies justified that? And we can make that justification if we can get technology into everything we do for reducing costs, reducing our environmental footprint, and allowing us to meet that criteria of speed, transparency, and quality. Technology is the key to all of it. That brings me to the last question, and uh, I don't know how closely you observe and watch the logistic tech industry with several startups creating smart solutions. Uh, how closely do you watch them, and is there, are there any fascinating companies that, uh, that you watch out for? Uh, it's also that these, these are the companies that are also getting heavily funded by venture capital funds and private equity funds. What are some of your thoughts about the logistic tech startup ecosystem? I think you started this off by saying, I'm not afraid to say what I think, right? Yes. So, um, but anyway, look, uh, most of the, what I've seen so far, I wouldn't spend a dime on or invest a dime in. And the reason for that is very simple. It, it's going to be, if, if the airlines, the airports and the ground handling companies get their act together, you don't need a tech service provider to put something in front of you to make a booking on an airline. If the airline participates in a variable cost solution, which the airports and the GHA should offer. That's number one. I think most of the money is going to the very good salesmen in these tech companies and not the real practical tacticians, shall we say, that are, are, are in a few companies. And there are some that are doing a very good job of it. I mean, you know, your, your sponsor, uh, uh, Calais Logistics, I keep pronouncing it wrong. Valley and over in Brussels, but they have a, a local solution over there, which is, which is very, very good. Um, and and uh, another interesting uh, example is Cargonaut, uh, where, where the uh, um, government and, and the airport have realized how valuable it is for the economic well-being of the Netherlands that they've taken it over completely and they're rebuilding it completely to be compliant. The other thing is that these systems have to uh, talk to multimodal, and, and I don't think any of the the, the systems I've seen so far, which are more geared to commercialization rather than the efficiency. Uh, commercialization of your, of your processes. Uh, if you're an airline, if that's what it's all about, I'm um, sorry. I just don't, I don't, I don't uh, think that's where you should be putting your money if you're a venture capitalist or, or a private equity company. But if you put your money into these companies that are going to improve the processes and become so valuable because of the reasons I mentioned before, which is uh, environmental sustainability, economic sustainability, um, complying with government rules um, that are coming. It's not a thought process, it's happening. That's where the money is in the future. And, and I think once the airlines understand that all these platforms, uh, they might sound nice now, but if you're okay, if you're marketing capacity from let's say the, uh, the Caribbean islands back to Europe where the only export might be sand, yeah, okay, you don't want to invest anything, but I think there's probably a local GSA you could give the business to and he can handle it much better because he, he, he knows the local environment. I, I believe a lot in face-to-face in -face communication still because interpersonal skills are, are what it's about. It's not just about uh, selling something. 
It's about market knowledge and trends and, and being able to adapt. And even artificial intelligence can't give you that information. If Mercedes is going to stop flying to or, or supporting a plant in Africa, uh, no booking platform is going to solve that problem for you. You better know about it in advance if you're counting on it from on your airline from Germany to, to China or Africa or whatever. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not too keen on all these platforms. I think there's too many of them, and I don't think they serve the purpose they should be or the money should be invested more into the companies that are going about fixing the problems I described. 48 hours door to door, transparency throughout, and absolute quality through the whole system. Um, if they're, uh, if that's what the uh, business case is for the technology company, that's where I put my money. Thanks, Stan, for being part of this dialogue, and uh, I like to wish you all the very best. Well, I wish all of your your viewers uh, a safe and healthy uh, 2021. COVID-19 has been terrible, and, and uh, we've learned to live with it in some ways, but I'm, I'm afraid we're going to have to live with it for a little while to go, so everybody out there be safe and uh, wear your mask. That was Stan Reid, President and CEO of Saucy World. Join me next Thursday as I bring a new guest for the next episode of Logistic Tech Dialogues presented by Kale Logistics Solutions. Until next Thursday, take good care of yourself and be safe.